It's July 23rd, 2015, and you're listening to the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. Hello and welcome to the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. I am your host, Chris Quinn, coming to you once again from the co-prosperity sphere in Bridgeport, Chicago. Thanks as always to Lumpin Radio. And by the way, you are listening to WLPN 1055 FM Chicago, just in case you didn't know that. That is for those of you listening to to, uh, the show live, for those of you on iTunes, maybe you're not, but maybe you should next time. So still good to know. Speaking of those of you who may be listening to iTunes or, or wherever you're listening and, and may be new to the show, let's talk just a little bit about what we're trying to do here. The goal of the Insider's Roundtable is to open up a window into what it's like on the inside. How do the people making, selling, marketing, and facilitating the beer getting into your glass feel about the topics that are a part of their everyday lives? And speaking of their everyday lives, why don't we just get right into it and uh, introduce our guests. I'm going to start on my left. Good to see you again, Mr. Masney. Hello, Mr. Quinn. Always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I'll give you a, a brief intro because, um, I mean, it's kind of weird for you to introduce yourself, I suppose. But Steve, However you want to do it. Yeah, well, Steve <laughs> is uh, a good friend of mine. He is also the president of the Chicago Beer Society, a very, very long-standing fixture. Are you not? Immediate past president. Oh, whoa. Big news. Breaking A uh, second show in a row, we're going to have some breaking news now. Uh, and you were also longtime host and co-founder of the Beer Download uh, podcast, which is some part tournament, some part beer evaluation, some part beer news. It's a little bit of everything, that podcast. I like to think that you took some of the things that I liked the absolute most about our show, and you're doing them here, but better, and with very interesting guests every week. I like to think that you think that, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so what's the deal with CBS? What happened? And, and tell a little bit about about the CBS. So the Chicago Beer Society was founded in 1977, so one of the uh, longest standing uh, beer organizations in the country. Uh, and essentially, uh, it's just a group of you know, like-minded individuals who enjoy good beer. And uh, it went from you know, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, people drinking uh, special export and, and that type of thing, winning the tasting, to now you know, the, the craft beer scene has exploded. And I, I like to think that the Chicago Beer Society was a small part of that. And uh, we have a rotating presidency, uh, one-year terms. And so last year was my year. This year, Peter Sloan is our, our Very nice. commander and president. That's great. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, we, um, we throw some events around the city that, uh, that people who have been around for a while probably know and enjoy. Uh, Fobab was actually very much um, a kind of 
a co-production of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild that and being the, the Chicago Festival Beer Society of Barrel Age Beers. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, the the Chicago Beer Society had a lot to do with getting that off the ground for the first several years. The guild has very much taken over full on control. That event has become huge. But we do the brew pub shootout. We have an annual picnic, um, and uh, we do um, you know get together on first Thursdays at Goose Island Clybourne and just have a nice time. So that, in a nutshell, is the Chicago Beer Society. That's great. And before we move on. There's a, I'm going to tell an interesting story, an interesting fact about the, the CBS. I think it's one of the most under, uh, misunderstood and underappreciated elements in at least Chicago craft beer and probably a little bit further beyond. I'm kind of championing that there should be some sort of documentary or something about that organization. But just to give you guys an idea of kind of the reach of uh, the Chicago Beer Society, Steve and I were in London, what, a year and a half ago, two years ago, something that. like that. We were at Fuller's. Um, of London, Fuller's Brewery. Beautiful brewery. Beautiful brewery, very old, very historic, probably the most storied existing brewery in uh, London. At Certainly least. London, yes. And they have this kind of reception hall, kind of like show-off place that has all their awards and a lot of historical photos. And we were there for a brewery tour and had a great time. An amazing brewery, if anyone uh ever gets there and is into the history of beer in any way and an extremely knowledgeable tour guide too which is always nice yeah and we were just kind of walking around after the the um the tour and drinking some beers and and kind of looking at the the stuff on the wall and lo and behold there was this big framed plaque ribbon from the Chicago Beer Society that had awarded one of, I think, Fuller's ESB. Yeah, the, the champion of the, uh, Chicago, uh, the Real Ale Festival. Uh, and it was, uh, I can't remember the exact year, but late 90s, 1998, something like that. The, uh, the Real Ale Fest here in Chicago was perhaps a little bit ahead of its time. I mean, even now, some of that stuff hasn't fully caught on because it's such a problematic way to serve. That was kind of one of the themes of our UK trip was, you know, alternately, uh, you know, worshiping at the altar of and then disparaging uh you know dispensing beer in this very strange and anachronistic way yeah and now that was my story so what is something else that might be interesting for people out there to know about maybe the the cbs and and the influence it it has had that a lot of people may not understand. i think what attracted me to it initially you know i've been involved in the chicago beer society for i guess a little more than a decade now and uh, it was always a very kind of mysterious-seeming organization. It was just like occasionally there would be these events, and they were terrific, and there was all this good beer, and there was cool people that you'd kind of see the same faces over and over again, get to know people. And then as I kind of got to know people better and got more on the inside, I realized, wow, you know, there's, there's a lot of really great national beer knowledge here. I mean, we got people like Randy Mosher, Ray Daniels, Steve Hamburg, Jeff Sparrow, you know, all very accomplished, you know, authors, uh, public speakers, and just, you know, generally interesting people in the beer scene. And it's like Randy says, hey, why don't you all come over to my house and we'll have Big Brew Day, you know? So it's, right. uh, it, it, it very much kind of embodies the whole uh, community of, of beer, but from a mostly beer drinker side, you know, it's, it's a beer appreciation society. It's not an association of brewers. And so it's kind of the, uh, you know, the, the, the insider's roundtable for outsiders. You know? Right. But, but at the same point, it, it isn't a beer collector's group. It isn't a beer trading group. It isn't a beer hoarding society. It is really just a, a, a group of beer appreciate, appreciators who then like to kind of be activists at the same time and put on really fun events for people who appreciate beer, who are a very important element I mentioned in a previous show to the beer industry. Nobody would be here 
without beer drinkers. And I think you guys are, or the CBS represents, um, really kind of influencers in the consumer side of craft beer. We, uh, we, we like to think so. One of, the, one of the mottos is we have better beer than you. And, uh, you know, the other thing is that it's been around for so long that some of the people who have had, you know, 25, 35 years into the society, you know, they, they remember before, I mean, before craft, before micro, before any of that, it was right. like, you know, and, and so to, to get their perspective, you know, like listening to Ray on your show last week, you know, it's, it's interesting to talk to someone who has more than a decade of, you know, memory and remembers what it was like in the 90s and what right. it was like in the 80s. And right. And it's cool. I mean, you still go to some of your events, like you have a first Thursday event every month at Goose Island. And, you know, Randy Mosher is still there more often than not, at least when I go. So that's kind of cool. He just uh, knows you're going to be there. Yeah, right. Um, so moving on, uh, we could sit and talk for a while. But moving on, we've got Mr. Gary Gully. Owner, head brewer, head everything at Alarmist Brewing here in Chicago, a brand new brewery. Welcome, welcome, and thanks for coming on the show, Gary. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's kind of a last minute thing, but I I made it here. I was running 100 miles an hour today to uh, to make it. So uh, thank you, thanks for risking your life and presumably lots of other innocent people's <laughs> lives to make yeah, it here on time. Yeah, it, I did risk some other people's lives, and you made it with at least 20 minutes to spare because yeah, I came which in. Which is 20. amazing. Yeah. I got here before you, so, so you could have slowed down. <laughs> and been safer is what I'm saying. Anyway, can you tell uh, the listeners out there a little bit about Alarmist, what you're about, how long you've been around for, that sort of thing? Mm. Just a little. Well, we started brewing in, well, it was actually just me uh, in uh, February. Of 2015. Of it is now year. July. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I have exactly one employee, Aaron, who's awesome. Nice. And we have two main beers right now. We have the Pantsless Pale Ale and the Phobophobia, which is a what's called a potter's beer, which means father's beer. And there's this whole story how it was a, a monk's sort of table beer they would drink, uh, low alcohol. Uh, and then I was talking to Randy Mosher a couple of weekends ago, and he, he basically destroyed every story about everything about monks making and drinking beer. So Of course. That's why you I'm don't like, talk to him about those I things. Just don't t- I'm not going to talk to him anymore ever. Right. Uh, but that's funny because I you know, I met them at I you know I used to be pretty active in CBS so I for a couple of years and that's part of the reason I have a brewery is when I got back into home brewing I went to CBS so awesome uh, that that was a big part of uh, what I I very much remember Gary Gully's alliterative name on the Chicago Beer Society <laughs> email list or it's funny how many names you see. And you see and you see, and then you meet him, and you're like, oh, you're that guy. Nice. Oh, I, was, I, was hope, I was hoping you were going to say it was my obnoxious personality, but alliteration will do. There's plenty of well. that, too. Yeah, we yeah. got plenty of that to throw in there. Um, what, uh, what are we drinking here? I think what's in my glass so is one you of have your beers. Phobophobia. That's the, the potter's beer. That's the just like a beer. simple um, Pilsner malt, and uh, use the West Mall yeast strain and uh, Saz hops. Nice. So is that a fear and, of fears? Or? Yes, phobophobia is the fear of phobias. So we're, we're, we have a Alarmist. theme with Alarmist of, okay. about different things and that we kind of wanted to stick with that. So that's part of uh, where that came from. Awesome. It's cool. You are by far, I mean, it's a, it's a young show here. We're only on our fourth ep- episode, but you are definitely the newest brewery to be on the show. And yeah, I, that'll probably change next week or right? <laughs> two weeks after that. That's a good thing. I, that means you're established. Week, I've, in the past week, I've learned of two new breweries I've not heard of in Chicago, so... Right, Gary is nearly six months old, so he's basically getting to be an old yeah, man. Yeah, I'm old, right. I mean, I'm an old man, and then I'm also my brewery's old now. So now people are going to be coming to you. How'd you do it, man? 
Uh, you, that happens. Make it? That happens a lot. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, uh, likewise happens to me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you once again for for coming in, and I'm excited to hear some of uh, some of your input from uh, your perspective, where everything is kind of nice and and shiny. Moving on, next person to my right, Mr. Jason Klein. What is your official title at Spiteful Brewing? So the official title is Player Coach, which is a little uh, a nod to uh, one of our favorite movies at the brewery, Slapshot. You've got Red Dunlop, <laughs> Player Coach. Uh, and that comes from the fact that I, I am one of the founders, but I also d- do a lot of the doing. We're a small team, and you've got to do a little bit of everything. So we don't really like official corporate titles at Spiteful, and that was something that kind of seemed fitting. Now, Player Coach is historically in, in sports was an, a standout player who got a little bit old but still had a lot of wisdom to impose. So, like, you've been around, you've been brewing for a really long time for, like, AB InBev or something, and you just want to kind of – is that the deal while you're a player coach now? Pretty much, and now I'm on my way, you know, you're on your out, way out, out of the playing game and more on the coaching game. Cool. Yeah, AB and I way back. That's interesting how many things, you know, sports and, and beer have in common. Um, well, that's cool. Well, welcome back to Chicago. Thank no. you. Yeah. yeah. No, anyway. It's, uh, yeah. No, it's definitely not brewing for AB. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and how long have you guys been around? We, in November, it'll be our third year, actually. Wow. So that's it's, amazing. So it's moving fast, as you know, because you, you're coming up on a similar. Well, you just had yeah. your We just your had our two-year two party. But we're two and, but, and a half, but yes. we opened in January. So you're just a few months older than we are. Yes. So it, uh, you know more than anyone how fast time can, can move. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, thanks again to you for, for coming on. I think another kind of late minute, last minute thing. And you drove, got here on a bike, which is very fitting. It's very much within your kind of ethos and your kind of brand image with all, all the bike stuff. And you live it. We, yeah, we certainly travel by bike whenever possible. We've actually delivered kegs on bikes. Full, uh, That's six pretty hardcore. Six barrels. Yeah, not, we're, not, we're not that crazy. Oh, okay. It's only medium cool. It's, it's yeah, only right. medium cool, right. It's... it's, it's it's actually not that recommended. It wasn't. It seemed like a much better idea at the time when we were flying by cars. But in retrospect, right, not not the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that that weight, the center of, of gravity, kind of gets thrown off a little bit, and you're you're going into the street. You really want to avoid potholes. <laughs> right, right. But nah, it's it's the best way to travel in the city, and uh, yeah, we just came down Halstead, and pretty easy and free workout. Yeah, nice. Well, thanks for coming all the way down here. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, and last but not least, we have Melanie Dominguez, who just just made it in here. Melanie, you're going to want to talk directly into the mic. What's up? For, for the record, I'm usually the last person here, and I'm happy that that's not the case today. So thank you, Melanie. Yeah. yeah. So Melanie, I totally gonna... thought I would beat Jason. I'm sorry. It's okay. You're here. You're here. as far as as far as the listeners can tell. You're here on time because it's you're here right on time when you need to be introduced. So. Yeah. Um, Melanie, yeah, you're going to want to talk right into the mic. Okay, and I can't hear what I'm saying, so we'll no, just talk okay. directly into the mic. No, you can keep yeah. your headphones. It's yeah, right. yeah, we're going to sort all that stuff out. This is stuff that could have been done moments ago, but whatever. If I um, were on time. Right, no. Uh, don't feel bad at all. Yeah, I, don't, I certainly don't feel bad. I'm more, I blame Google Maps. In a way, I'm happy because I get to give you some crap on air about it. <laughs> uh, anyway, Melanie is the proprietor of the Green Lady, a craft beer bar here in Chicago. And before that, you were the manager of the Gingerman in New York City in Manhattan. Is that right? Director of Operations. Director of Operations, a pretty storied craft beer bar in, in New York. So thank you. Thank for, you. 
taking time from your busy schedule, you know, busy Thursday night to, to make it down here. I know it wasn't very easy for you to get the time off, so I very much do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and could you just tell the listeners a little bit about... I don't know, the Green Lady and craft beer bars or whatever well, you want to do. the Green Lady will be celebrating our four-year anniversary in September. Nice. Um, we kind of fly under the radar a little bit. We um, definitely like to support local breweries, but we have an international uh, portfolio as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're basically a neighborhood bar, an adult bar. You know, we... Um, Hate those children bars. Yeah. Well, we do allow children... Younger than 21. I think adult bars, oftentimes, it makes sense that some children can be there. I know what you mean. You're not there for necessarily the Wrigleyville crowd. Is no. that what you mean? No energy drinks. Right. No bombs. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Wrigleyville. But, yeah. Um, yeah. You don't allow adult children, I understand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I get quite a few looks when people walk in and say, oh, we're going to have a Jaeger bomb or a O-bomb or... And I say, no bombs here, sorry. No energy drinks. And then they'll say, well, what about Monster? Yeah, right. no energy drinks Jesus. at the Green Lady. It's just yeah. about the We beer. have 30 crafts on draft and about 120 bottles and cans. And so we just kind of like to support the craft beer. And one of my personal favorite beer bars in Chicago. And Thank I actually, you. Yeah, I'm not just a, what is it? I'm not just a... The pres- well, no, I was going to try to use the size the, the bald guy thing. I, I go there is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I'm getting tongue-tied. Um, so, yeah, thanks, everyone, for, for coming. The uh, Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I wanted to talk about, and there's a few things I wanted to, to get to. We've got a whole bunch of things that I wanted to talk about. But the first thing that we always talk about <clears throat> is beers that have been interesting, you guys, me included in you guys, Melanie included in you guys, as of late, you know, that could be a beer that you're currently drinking a lot of, a beer that's just maybe that you guys brew or that you just put on tap. It doesn't need to be. It can be anything. I usually go first to kind of relieve the, some of the stress of coming up with something, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to start with you, Mr. Masney, because I think you're up to the task. What, do you, what are you digging lately? So I'm actually going to take it in the other direction, and I'm going to call you guys out for repeatedly talking about how great Pilsner Quell is, because I... I appreciate the story, and I appreciate that it is the original. It means, you know, original Pilsner in Czech. I am Czech, you know, so I feel like... But, you know, it's, it's a beer that I actually went and bought a four-pack recently of the Express Cold Chip cans because, you know, I hear everybody talking about, oh, the Pilsner Kell. And the thing about that beer that bothers me a lot of the time is that there's a fair amount of diacetyl, typically. I mean, that's just kind of built into their beer. But it really varies, it seems to me, in the cans. And sometimes I get that beer on draft, and it tastes beautiful. And there's like a little, like uh, Jeff Allworth out in Portland says, a dollop of diacetyl as part of it, and that's fine. And and I can I'm not quite I can sure dig I that. that yeah. But but the uh, a lot of times I open these cans, and I'm just like, I mean, I literally dumped one down the drain the other night because I'm like, I don't have any interest in drinking this. So I am going with an inverse beer uh, recommendation, which is don't buy Pilsner Quill. Wow. <laughs> I will say that Ge- uh, Gerald on our first episode mentioned that, that the way to go was cans. And I said, oh, they're in brown bottles now. I have had the best Pilsner Urquell I've ever had as of late out of brown bottles. I'm, I'm almost, I went to cans right actually in the shop right after Gerald said that. It's all about the cans. Pardon the cans me. look really cool. They look really cool. But I have had better experiences in terms of the flavor of that beer coming out of the brown bottle. So... I will say to you. I question that. Have you done them side by side? 
I had I I've been thinking about Pilsner Urkel and diacetyl for because I'm crazy probably like two years now and you can attest to it. Chris is is very much he's been constantly giving Pat Berger a hard time about yeah. it on draft and yeah it's um. And the thing is, it kills me because I think I've been trained to think that the butter flavor is bad. I don't know that I used to. Like, I used to think of some beers as popcorn beers, and I didn't necessarily care for them. Like, New Holland Dragon's Milk was one where I'm like, oh, this beer tastes like popcorn. And then I had one years later. I'm like, no, it doesn't. That was just a bad batch. And <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's like and then the, the Chicago Beer Society guys, Steve Hamburg in particular, hates that the flavor of diacetyl. You know, it tastes like butter, and it makes the, the beer just kind of... For me, it masks a lot of what else can be going on that can be nice in it. And uh, and so anyway, I, I've had a long-running dialogue with you. And when, when three weeks in a row you're like, oh, Pilsner or Kull, and everyone's talking about Pilsner or Kull, I'm like, no, it's madness has to end. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say I have not done a side-by-side with cans and bottles, but I have had the cans quite a bit in the past year. I've had the bottles quite a bit. And the last couple of bottles that I've had have been spot on, like the best Pilsner or Kell I've had in package ever. Now, that said, yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's hey, we got, got a can. We got a can. Cool. So much for your non-recommendation. Yeah, right? Well, you know, I had the four-pack, and I drank one, and I dumped out another, and I saw two left, so I brought them with me. Cool. Because I wanted to make people try it. Awesome. Nice. Cool. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, only, I only question, you know how I give you a hard time. We're in cans, yeah. and we got questions on it originally. And it's hard to defend the package integrity being better than bo- it is better than bottles. We all know that. There's no light. There's no air. If it's sealed correctly. If it's sealed correctly, right? Yeah. Everything on you know every every test you see side by side, the can should in theory win. There's certainly some sort of nostalgic feeling you get with bottles. I think that you can't ignore. That's certainly part of now, it. Now, what about but, dissolved oxygen? Now we're really getting into. It. We're just in. We're just in recommendations. We're already kind of getting. Geeky. What about DO, dissolved oxygen, which is one of the things that really can cause a beer to go off more quickly than, you know, maybe the brewer would want it to. I think, so what I believe and what I tell people is, you know what, one's not necessarily better than the other. All things being equal in a perfect world, a can would be better, but it all depends on the bottling or canning line that it's running through. So, you know, I'm guessing Sierra Nevada's canning line probably has a slightly, well, slightly lower, you know, DO than, than somebody else's bottling line. And Sierra Nevada's bottling line probably still has lower dissolved oxygen, you know, after however many months than somebody, somebody's canning line. So, I don't know, is that a fair assessment? Or is, do you think cans are always better no matter what? No, I think that's a fair assessment. But you're, you have to have process control, whether you're bottling or canning. So, uh, right. Chris, yeah, I don't you... know if anyone's ever like done s- studies to see which one has a, a lower DO. Uh, dissolved oxygen meters are very expensive piece of equipment to have. Right. Uh, you know, Sierra Nevada, you know, they, they, when they switched from twist offs to regular bottle caps, because right. they, they spent a long time analyzing that. Uh, my guess is uh, they're at least equal, if not. You getting diacetyl on that? Oh man, it's it's. I just took a smell from it. You so, don't even need to. So here's the thing: I, I can't smell or taste diacetyl. Oh, like okay. about ten percent of the human population can't. I've You're gonna love through, this. Beer. I've been through multiple taste sensory analysis, including with Jason uh, way back, and uh, I've had pure diacetyl in front of me in a chemical bottle, and I can't. Yeah, I mean, some oh, people are delicious. blind, yeah. But I'm sorry, you were, you were saying Boy, about... I got all oh, this. Is, can I have this thing? Gary, yeah. the, the Pilsner call is all yours. I have a whole other can over here that you're walking oh, through. Oh, beautiful. All right. Take it home with you. You were saying. Yeah, no, you were saying. No, you, 
Oh, so yeah. Uh, yeah so I don't know. I, I don't, I've never read any sort of empirical evidence about whether uh, a can uh, keeps out um, oxygen better than a bottle. Well, I'm there thinking at the time it goes ways to into seal. the vessel is when it could potentially get messed up. I don't know. Yeah, so crowns are not hermetically sealed, no matter how good they are. Yeah. And cans are, if they're seamed correctly. So as far as getting in post-packaging, right, right. one is better. But as far as on, on the actual line itself, right. I have not read anything about yeah. that in terms of... Yeah, those guys are running. I mean, they. I, I was at Harp or at uh, yeah Harpoon for when I was in brewing school, and it was like they had a do meter as that beer went into the bright tank, and they had it down to like you don't below, have one of those. Like, oh my, yeah. <laughs> they actually, you know, it's funny. They had they had one on the wall. But they also had a portable one, and they had it on a stainless cart, and they had welded this thing around it so that it couldn't be knocked off the cart because it was twenty five thousand dollars. This little do portable do meter. So here you go. That that's. That's my that's my minivan. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, they'll make one for the iPhone next year, and then you'll be set. Right. Oh, there you go. I'm all that. Give me, give Gary, you're talking now. Want you keep it going? What beer are you into? Uh, you know, well, my my favorite brewery is and probably will always be Nuclearis, um, and uh, their Scream uh, Double IPA. I, I I like yes. Had two different people bring some down to me recently, and I will say that. Uh, Scream is right now my favorite double IPA on planet Earth. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, what do you like about it? It's got that usual Nuglaris subtlety and nuance. Uh, it's not trying to be over the top. It's just solid. Oh, my God. Oh, that's Enigma. Oh, very nice. Cool. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, I... I, I quite the, frankly, the, Dan, the Dan Carey... herself bringing, uh, bringing some yeah, that looks just Enigma. like... Uh, right. Dan Carey could probably piss in the bottle at this point, and I'd say it was the greatest thing ever made. But okay, okay. I wouldn't actually say that. But we can. Yeah, I can try to make that. <laughs> I really may try very hard. Anyway, but if it has diacetyl, I wouldn't be able to detect it. Okay, since the mic is already pointed at you, Jason, I know you and Melanie are sharing a mic tonight. You'll go next. Well, you can go next, and and uh, we'll keep the order going. Jason, what beers have been interest? What beer has been interesting you, or intriguing you, or have you been really loving on lately? So not to uh, copy Gary here, but I will a little bit. Um, my neighbor actually brought me some New Glarus recently, so I've been drinking a lot of that. The, uh, the two women lager, certainly. Mm-hmm. We don't make lagers, so I, I appreciate a nice lager when I can get yeah. one. I've uh, been drinking a lot of Pony Pills, actually. And that is a brewer's beer. I, I don't know if I said it on this show before, but so many definitely have. brewers love that beer i mean it's pony pony pills what's not yeah. to like it's hoppy it comes in a tall boy it's it's not 19 percent abv uh, it's something you can it mm. goes with everything has yeah. a horse on it yeah. It, yeah it does have a horse on it do you know that the pony pills from what i've heard it's named the the there's a horse with a monkey on the riding on the back of the horse and the monkey's name is pony and that is the beer is named after the monkey on the back of the pony on the back of the horse. That's it sounds like the 33 thing in Rolling Rock. Yeah, I'm right. not going to believe it until I get some confirmation. <laughs> very oh, I've complicated branding strategy <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, very cool. So we've got some two women lager and some pony pills. The yokel then, is outs- very good as well, They're, which is their, one of their seasonals right now. Oh, the thank you. The yokel, the yokel uh, is delicious. That two oh, women man. lager started out as one of their R&D series in the 500 milliliter bottles mm-hmm. that they have. It looks like faux handwritten. Yep. That was one of the best lagers I've ever had. The current one that they do in six packs is awesome too, but something about that version. It was, um, it was a collaboration with 
uh, I guess they're both women owned or, or women. his wife, Deborah yeah, Carey yeah. run and she like runs the business part of everything. And then Wireman mm-hmm. Maltz in Germany. Yeah, that's right. It's a similar mm-hmm. situation. So mm-hmm. that's why it's called two women. Those are the two women. Yep. The woman from Wireman and the woman from New Guiris. Mm-hmm. And that first like R and D batch was unbelievable. It was great. Yeah. Which it's a shame because two women is awesome, but I cannot think about how awesome that original 500 mil version was mm-hmm. so uh, there is always like man this was good but i've had the same beer and it was even better before so anyway what i'm saying is what you like i've had better <laughs> of course of course <laughs> yeah well I'll, i will say the last thing that i've been i've been into lately i is, own a liquor store is, yeah uh, that's not really oh, fair. A craft beer store I guess. you have all these choices in front of you yeah i, I don't have quite the uh, portfolio we're stuck with do. our own beers all right exactly <laughs> Uh, Cascale is something I've been drinking a lot more of lately, too. We, oh, yeah? We just purchased two pins for the brewery, which is kind of nice. We've never had them before. A pin being it's like a mini firkin, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah, a half firkin. firkin yeah. So it's uh, actually we've done them for Melanie's Bar before. Uh, and outside of that, we haven't done a whole lot with them. But we bought two of our own, and we had one on at our event tonight that I came from. Cool. And we did Passion Fruit in our Spiteful IPA, which was nice. But I tend to kind of seek out bars that have cask and drink as much of it as possible. What bar lately have you been really thinking that the, the cask program has been doing pretty well here in Chicago? Uh, Sheffield's comes to mind yeah. just because we filled their, fir- they bought some Perkins and, and let us fill them. They've got a hand pump there. Um, certainly Melanie's Bar, whenever there's a cask there, I try to make it there. And then outside of that, if I just kind of have my eyes open, especially if I'm just traveling, seeing, just because yeah. it's the freshest representation of beer you can possibly get. So and I, you know, I went to uh, school in London, met my wife in London. So there's also that, that feeling of, oh, yeah, this is what I was drinking when I was there and met my wife. And there's all That's sorts awesome. of positive things there. So. Cool. Which I've said, something else I've said on the show in the past, that to me that is such a huge part about why I personally enjoy beers. I mean, it, it's a lot of the context and a lot of the, the memory and stuff. So bravo to you as well. Melanie, last but certainly not least, how about you? What beers have you been drinking lately? Well, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a sourhead. So I like sours. So my go-to beer is always the Duchess. But That's right. lately, I've been drinking a lot of Five Lizard from mm-hmm. Five Rabbit. It's yes. got the nice tartness to it with the passion fruit. And now that you've put passion fruit in your beer, yeah, I'd like to taste that as well. I think they have started a trend but it was again it was i noticed a lot of breweries kind of taking notice of that five wizard which is a passion fruit and lime whip beer, right? beer. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's a whip beer mm-hmm. but but instead of i believe it's, it's essentially instead of the the orange peel they use lime peel and then they use some they have some passion fruit as well and then there's also coriander which you would typically have in a wit and it won a gold medal at gabf and it you know had good sales here in Chicago. It's, it's really sold only here and, and a little bit in, in Ohio. But then I noticed, you know, there's a couple other breweries who started making passion fruit beers. And, and one of them, uh, actually, I brought uh, a different beer from them, but, but I'm the Pollo out of Sweden, made a passion fruit wit beer. And I did a, a video show on my other podcast where I did the two side by side, and they were both really, really good. And now there's, uh, it's called like Lillipoy or something. It's a Avery canned beer, which is a passion fruit wit that just came out that they're making year round. And I just thought it was kind of okay. Well, a lot of people are noticing that passion fruit and wit go really well together. It's got that big 
tropical thing, but passion fruit also has that tartness. That tartness, too. yeah. And it, it, it just works really, really well. And so. it's a good gateway from people from wit beers, the traditional wit beer, into the sour world as well. For sure. And, and also, like, you got all these, you know, hoppy beers that can be passion fruity, but some people are turned off by they're so hoppy and so bitter. This has got all that wonderful tropical fruit from actual tropical fruit. Right. It's right. pretty dang good. Not yeah, they didn't the have hops. to find galaxy hops to do that, so exactly. that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's right. the way to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah, says the brewer who's probably pulling his hair out trying to find some of these, like, exotic hops that everyone's like, why don't you just make a citra beer? Oh, my God. Don't the tell, look on your face. Don't tell my, my employee, Aaron, my assistant brewer, don't mention that. He'll, he'll come at your neck. Because he loves that Citra. He, he, he Zombie dust. Him. Oh, God, oh okay. don't get him started. Next time he comes into the shop, I'll be like, I have got the beer You know him, right? He comes for you. Him, yeah. yeah. You should do that. It's called. <laughs> you should totally do it. I'm going to get this word on. It's called Anthropomorphic Citra Hop. You'd love it. It's a picture of a cartoon Citra hop, and it's really good. Oh, and I mean, ampho- Yeah, nice. Yeah, uh, Anthropomorphic. I, I don't know. I'm from Indiana. We can't yeah. say words like that. Yeah, yeah. Neat. <laughs> I, I'm not from Indiana, and I still can't say that word. Okay, I'm last. Uh, for me, I, I kind of uh, hinted at my hand. Uh, I'm the polio. I was going to say this last week, but I saved it for this week. It, the beer is called Onda, O-N-D-A. Uh, a brewery that I just really, really like. They are a gypsy brewery. It's essentially a, a home brewer who just goes around and brews commercial batches once in a while on different people's setups. And, man, um, a lot of what he does just you would think is going to be gimmicky and not work, but just time and time again, these guys just deliver. Now, their stuff is not a regular go-to. It's just too expensive. I'm looking here at a 12-ounce or an 11.2-ounce uh, bottle, and I think it was like 650 or something like that. And it's just a mosaic hopped pail. And I think, judging from the bottle, that it's like three months old, maybe four months old. But you guys should try it. It tastes like a glass of Fruity Pebbles. I don't know how this guy does it, but um, it, the flavor some, a lot, but the flavor, uh, the, the aroma, I'm sorry, somewhat, but the flavor just jumps out of the glass. So, so is it like Omnipollo? Omnipollo. Like all like, the chicken? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm the present. All the chicken. I'm the present like, chicken. I got, I've got chicken. all the chicken. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the brewer there, Hennick, uh, has be, uh, become friends with, uh, I've become friends with him, I should say, and just really have been following them closely and and really impressed with, with with what they've been putting out so so fruity pebble beer uh you know i've always thought that line kugel sunset wheat smells exactly like a box of fruity pebbles like literally if you hold them up side by side you're like eh, <laughs> this is really uh and so I, i'm assuming you mean it in a in a more complimentary I mean it way terrible. than terrible and no no yeah absolutely <laughs> compliment complimentary way so uh, yeah, I mean, we have glasses. You guys can drink from the bottle. Or, no, or we'll all. We've already, already started this. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Jason was it's good with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the beer that that has just really been interesting me lately. I've only had it a couple times because, like I said, for you know six fifty a bottle, it's not something you can do all the time. But it's pretty good beer, right? What do you think of it, Steve? Um, yeah, it, it's much better than Line of Google Sunset Week. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, the branding is... <laughs> How is that possible? The, the branding is very similar to, uh, I think, uh, McKellar. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, you know, if I saw this beer on the shelf, I would think that it was either McKellar or possibly Evil Twin, who I think have somewhat similar branding strategies. But yeah, it tastes really nice. I would. It's interesting about their 
their labels, it's essentially two people. One does all the beery things, the recipe development, the brewing, that's Hennick. And then there's another gentleman who does all the label design and all the artwork. And he's a, a graphic designer, a fairly well-known, I think, graphic designer. This is Omnipolio? Yeah. So it's interesting. They've actually gotten away from it. It used to be the front would just be, the front of the bottle would just be a graphic. No mention of the brewery, even what you see now is is a little tame and then on the back in small print like maybe right above the UPC code it would just say I'm the Pollo and that's it and it was cool but also very bad for kind of building their brand so people knew I mean you'd essentially speak no they just have the if I ever see a random cool bottled beer it's probably right. them give me one of those blank beers please right exactly the because TPD they don't have you wouldn't love that right well, yeah, they had another one that came out that didn't have a label that came out recently. No front label, just a bottle, and it only had the little back label with something, you know, all the, the necessary legal mumbo-jumbo on the mm. back, and, and that was it. That Very one, avant-garde. That one didn't sell as well. You really had to hand sell that one. Um, I will say you had to out hand sell it. the back of a truck in an alley. <laughs> Are yeah. buying it? Yeah, well, what would happen is you have to talk into the mic or else they can't hear you. Are people buying it? <laughs> Sorry, Logan. I put a beer down on the turntable, which is a no-no. I should have known that, but anyway. Are people buying it? Yeah. Uh, one of them was called Smoothie IPA, which was a strawberry rhubarb IPA, and it was very good. So as soon as you told people that, and, you know, you had to put a little information on the tag, and the other one was that passion fruit wit beer, uh, passion fruit lime wit beer. So what you have to do is just tell people that you really like the beer, and enough of us told people that... You know, and we also have a, a bit of a following because once you start trying these beers, people seem to kind of look them, look for them and, and, and recognize them and know where we keep them. And then if they see an odd bottle, look at the tag and just kind of pick it up. So, yeah, we sold them pretty well. What I'm hearing is in two and a half years, you've really learned to, to move product if you want to. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You give me any piece of crap and I'll, I'll move it out the door. <laughs> I'll get it in people's bags. But, but yes. Uh, if it tastes good, all the better. Uh, yeah. I, I should, whatever. <laughs> No. Um, anyway, um, moving on to our first actual topic. Um, so it was announced this week, just recently, that Pabst is returning to Milwaukee. They kind of famously left Milwaukee. Uh, Pabst, the brewery from from you know Pabst Blue Ribbon PBR, recently bought by a Russian interest, I, I believe. Um, they said that they are moving back to Milwaukee. They were, I think, originally the best brewing company. Uh, they changed to, I think, the Pabst Brewing Company. For one time, was the biggest brewery in America. Yeah, absolutely. Open up any of those bottles. Um, and they're coming back. And they're going to open a small, quote-unquote small, innovation brewery in Milwaukee. Uh, I guess it's kind of on on news. the On the old Pabst campus, which, you know, this is neat. You know, return to your roots in a... Yeah. Almost literal sense. Right. And they're going to be doing, uh, it's going to be a 6,000 square foot brewery. And it's going to be their innovation hub, something like 2,000 barrels a year. So that's going to be about 4,000 kegs a year. And it's going to be what they said, a lot of kind of their, I don't know, old pre-prohibition beers is what they're going to do a lot of. Um I don't know. What do you guys think about this? Is this legit? Is it cool? Is it just them trying to 
tie into the craft market? Is it an outlet for them to pump out more Not Your Fathers? What do we you think? Should, we should ask Kaiser. He probably knows. Like, well, he know, what does <laughs> he'll that break, guy he'll know? Break, he'll break this story wide open. Right. What I think... This keeps moving, sorry. What I think is that everybody starts out as craft, and people get big. Some go away, some stay, some get bigger. Somebody that has been around since 1844 is looking at the market and they have Pabst and they have Schlitz and they're like, you know, what can we do to stay relevant? And I think that with any market, you as a company want to stay relevant. So what is relevant right now? Small batch, innovation, things that are different. So let's open an innovation center in our church on our compound Mm -hmm. and say that this is what we're doing. Whether it will be sustainable, I don't know. But I think it's interesting that they're going back to their roots and saying, we have all of these recipes that kind of help to start everything. You know, everybody that's here right now really wouldn't be here if not for the big guys right now. So it's interesting that they're now saying, let's go back and see what we can do with what we already have. Sure. And it's interesting. I mean, not to be too skeptical, but I'm just kind of looking at, you know, they're, they're going to brew a lot of the pre-pro brands, like they had mentioned, like Old Tankard Ale, Andecker, and others. And it says it also intends to brew new craft beers, quote-unquote, um, inspired by recipes from the, pa- from the Pabst archives, which means they can just slap any old name onto any new beer, essentially. But that doesn't mean that that's not genuine and that they aren't really trying to move in the right direction. I mean, it's kind of hard for such a huge company to be nimble and, and instantly kind of put out a authentic beer, but I don't know. But maybe they can. Maybe they can. To, to play off what Melanie was saying, I mean, one of their brands is uh, Ballantine, Ballantine uh, from the East Coast, and that was, you know, a relatively hoppy ale that existed right alongside the big macro lagers until... I believe it was the 60s that things started to go wrong in the 70s that they basically went under. And they recently reintroduced that beer. I, I actually haven't seen it. I would like to try it because I, I think the Ballantine brand is really cool. Uh, and the fact that they're, you know, trying to hopefully make a somewhat legitimate effort to, you know, unearth some of that stuff and, and, and try to do the archaeology to figure out what it might be like. I think that's neat. I think it's neat that they're in the physical same location. When I first read the headline, I was thinking like, oh, wow, they actually want to be brewers again. They don't want to just be a brand portfolio. And I was a little bit disappointed when I read about the scope, you know, because it's pretty small potatoes in the scheme of Pabst. You know, it's like a 30-barrel brewery or whatever, which is not nothing, but, you know. We'll trade them. Right. We'll (laughs) we'll take that. So they said two to 3,000. Is that what they said? Two to 3,000 barrels a year is what they're looking for. Right. I mean, and they sell, you know, several million barrels of their various brands. So it's a a pretty small drop in their overall bucket. You know, probably, you know, less than one tenth of one percent of their total production. Um, I think it'd be cooler if they were taking over more of that campus and they were going to try to, like, build something big and put out a lot of good beer. Right. Maybe maybe, they will. Maybe maybe this is the seed. You know, I so I'm cautiously optimistic What do you think, Jason? I think cautiously optimistic is kind of where I'm at, too. It certainly smells of marketing and trying to jump on the trend of what's popular right now in craft. And they're all doing it. It's not just Pabst. I mean, Budweiser's doing it. They're buying up breweries left and right. Uh, Coors, there's a, I forget what the name of the brewery is. It's at Coors Field. Um, The Sandlot. The Sandlot, thank you. It's essentially the same thing. 
uh, well, a little to, smaller. In fairness, the Sandlot's been there since you know, 20, 25 years. Right. To where Blue Moon and, came from. Yeah. Uh, the one, I mean, I think it's been there as long as the park has been there. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly when the Rockies started being a actual baseball team. So, yeah. so the brew pub in their stadium actually functions instead of just teases brewers like ours at the United <laughs> Center where you look at a whole bunch of copper that's not hooked up to anything? Yes. Correct. There's, exactly. there's okay. is an yeah. actual yeah, plant. That would be, I've, I've considered a, a, a smash and grab at that place a few times. <laughs> you can't <laughs> say it on the air because now if it happens, they know who to look at. Yeah, there's yeah, some well, nice... But why would he broadcast his intentions so he's diverting it? They're going to see a blinged out you know, fixie bike riding around in, you know, Ravenswood. Like <laughs> I would not use that copper, copper for a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, I, I think it's a cool thing that they're doing. Uh, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that they're trying to jump on a trend. I mean, obviously, the the palette and the the sort of what, what people are buying now is shifting. And it's not just in beer, it's in food. It's, in, it's kind of in ev- everything. You hear the mantra, buy local, no matter what it is. So... To get back to their roots, I don't think that's a bad thing. And, and at the end of the day, if they're making good beer, who cares? I will say that someone, I think Stephen, who works this, at the, the Beer Temple with me, said that it was either yesterday or today. Somebody from Milwaukee had come in to shop at the store. You get a lot of kind of out-of-town visitors. And this person was super excited from a very kind of city pride standpoint where... This was uh, kind of, you know, are they the beer that made Milwaukee? No. Their not baseball the team is called yeah. the Brewers. You know, right. So a lot of this has kind of gone elsewhere, and it's nice to have these guys return home, even if it's just in a, you know, kind of as a figurehead or something. But it was the, he was very excited about this. And if something like that can make you now go grab a 30-pack of PBR, I mean, hey, uh, maybe that's a, a win-win for them. But... Uh, one person I saved you for last, Gary, because I'm very interested what you think about this. That's very interesting that you did that. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I have a very contrarian view. I think I <clears throat> this isn't just craft beer. The, I, it just annoys the shit out of me that this country we're obsessed with brand, right? So we everything is a brand, and you have companies that really don't exist, like Pabst or whoever their holding company was, where they actually didn't brew the beer, they didn't have a brewery, and they just have a brand. Uh huh. And you know, like Ballantine. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I get it. I, they want to get in on on all that sweet, sweet craft beer money that <laughs> Jason and I are just sucking in like crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. I, you guys going to really? France? That's happening to you. You get you going to France again this year? Because I'm I'm going to go again. What? You got you, you guys want to go with us? Yeah. You, you want to get a yacht? We're going to rent a yacht. Of course, I want to get oh, a yacht. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you a, know, it's it, a good place it, to yacht around in France. I, I <laughs> up and down the Seine. You know. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, oh, that's why that was so cheap. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> Gary, I'll, I'll hop on the alarmist yacht anytime. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, no, I but just, you were saying. Well, I just, um, I mean, I, I just, I'm, and this isn't this really honest. I, this has nothing to do with the fact that it, it's in the beer industry. I, it drives me crazy with anything. You know, you go somewhere. And there's a brand of something. You know, I, I can remember buying an Eddie Bauer tent at uh, Target. Uh-huh. And the thing fell apart within a year. They had the brand, and that was it. And people, and it just, it, it's not, has nothing to do with the core company or whatever they did and what they did. So, well, what you're the saying Paps is, family is there is involved, no core right? company. No, there is no core company. I mean, no, where's Paps, the Paps family? No, they're right? gone. They're, they're long gone. So, they're long gone. I mean, you know, that's fine. I, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting idea. And, and, and if I work there, I think that would be a really, like, yeah, you know, we've got to be, we got to be relevant somehow. Mm-hmm. But I just, I mean, it's whatever. You don't just but want to But going back to, to what, ironically, yeah. sorry. No, that's okay. 
finish. I'm just saying, going back to what Chris was just saying about Omnipoyo, when All they chicken. didn't, when they didn't have anything on their label, they don't have a brand. So you're right. Everyone here, everywhere is all about the brand. Who is that by? Mm-hmm. What three Floyds do you have? Mm-hmm. I can't exactly. even tell you how many times yeah. I hear that a day. And it doesn't matter. It's all about the brand. It's all about that. It doesn't matter. Well, what style of beer are you looking for? Three Floyds. That's not a style of beer. They come in and ask me the same thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. which three Floyds beers do you brew? And I'm like, um, uh, zombie, zombie dog, <laughs> Pantsless zombie? Pantsless. But it, it is a hard thing when you're talking about brand because people want that brand recognition. And when you are a retailer, then you have new breweries, which we just ordered a keg of your pale ale today. <gasps> Thank by you. By the way, a little kind. plug for you Thank there. Thank you. I um, can feed my kids again. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard your tap handle is awesome. <laughs> Speaking <is>. of branding. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's right. what it is. People look at the wall. Yeah. They look at the labels. They look at these things and they say, well, what's that? What is that? What is that? And they don't really necessarily care about the product and that, that's, or the I think quality that, of that product. Yeah, and that's but, what bugs me. I and think. I think that's what we are all about yeah. is the quality of that product. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wants to go back and say, you know what, perhaps our brand is already built, which PBR is definitely a brand. Mm-hmm. We need to revisit what got us to this point. Perhaps that's a good thing, maybe. Right. I, I mean, I would love to see him be able to do it and actually make you know really good beer. I mean, I mean obviously PBR is a beer I, I think right. most of us would drink. I mean, but a very brand, right. very marketing-driven beer. I mean, they had a whole renaissance that was based Which in is a very organic, kind of, or in a in very grassroots way. Really. I yeah. mean, it, it's, oh, Jesus. There we are. So I, I, the thing I is, I like, I like to take a cooler with me whenever I go places because, you know, you never know what you might want to drink. Right. And uh, I, think, I think literally because of this story, Probably subconsciously, I was at Whole Foods and the PBR was like six ninety nine for a twelve pack. I'm like, right, that's pretty cheap. I could I could buy a twelve pack of PBR. So there you go. I mean, that's what I was kind of saying before. Is that why they're doing it to get a little bit of credibility with people who want to pick up a six pack and a thirty pack, and maybe that thirty pack will be PBR. I will say right now, I carry one straight like macro brand in my store, twenty four packs of PBR. And that's it. That's the only one I have. Why? To me, it's more of like a why not? Yeah, fine. PBR. Um, Al Qaeda made you do it. Yeah, yeah, that is that's true. <laughs> that, that's a very alarmist thing to say. Yeah, um, it's a common joke in my house. Okay, long, okay, yeah. But anyway, uh, so so maybe that is what it what it is. You know, it, maybe it's a two two part thing. If if it works out, if something actually comes from it, if they get another not your father's that kind of grows up internally, or 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 better way to put it would be another blue moon where they've got something that comes out of this Sandlot-esque brewery that blows up. Awesome. If not, if it gives a little street cred to the PBR brand, that's fine too. And what I found this beer is very good for. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of brewers seem to like drinking it. They bring it to events where they're setting up tap boxes. I mean, you guys have certainly seen it, I think, through the guild. You know, it's always at Fobab. Uh, I just wanted to, to say that I think that this is a good rinsing beer. you got a beer in your glass that you don't want to taste in your next beer, but you don't want to go find a glass of water. This is perfect. And you happen to it's have perfect. it in your hand. And you can drink it. Right, sure. You can drink it. I agree. Would you like uh, this Jester King instead of the PBR? Let me first rinse with the PBR. Oh, there you go. And while you guys are figuring out what to rinse with and what to pour, why don't we take a break? We'll be back in about 10 minutes, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more. 
You're listening to WLPN 1055 FM Chicago. Welcome back to the Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. I'm here with Steve Masney of Beer Download, Gary Gully of Alarmist Brewing, Melanie Dominguez of The Green Lady, and Jason Klein of Spiteful Brewing. Thanks for sticking around and not running out and just going and partying while we were on break, guys. There's all this beer on the table here, so. Well, yeah, I know. It, it does help that this is probably one of the cooler places to be, but yeah, I'd like to think that. I'm a little biased, but anyway. Um, so, moving on, I last week talked about how, um, you know, there's this other side to the equation. We have the publican or, or the, you know, the proprietor for, in the case of you and I, pardon me, <laughs> Melanie, as I belch into the microphone. Um, we've got the the brewers, and we've got, you know, the... The insider in a different way, you know, kind of the the hyper-educated, the person who is highly involved in, in beer society, stuff like that, in the case of, of you, Mr. Masney. But, you know, the everyday drinker is a very important part of the equation as well. And generally, this just the listener. And I think that there's a lot of opinions getting thrown back and forth, and there's a lot of topics that have more than just, you know, one or two opinion. So I asked people to email in and just see uh, what what kind of reactions we were getting from people out there. And I'm just going to read first names because I know some of these people may be quote unquote insiders and, you know, don't want to incriminate themselves. So if you do, we'll do it like, uh, you know, some of the NPR shows, tell us how to pronounce your name. But what, what we'll say is tell us how you want to be referred to, you know. So <laughs> if you email us, it's insiders at craftbeer craftbeertemple.com and at the end sign the email with how you want to be referred to on the air and that's how we will refer to you and then the insiders can eviscerate your uh, your your opinion is that how this works exactly i like this segment if exactly Ka- if kaiser emails please don't make him anonymous i want to make fun of him if he writes a poem let's get on that right now yeah that'll anyway. be uh, tony from lagunitas so <laughs> let's talk about some people who Took me up on my my offer, my plea to to you know start to contribute. Uh, three people who sent in emails. Thank you guys. The first was um, was Jack, and he thank you Jack for emailing. And he said we have a lot of insiders, and and something that I get a lot. And Gary, we talked about it before. He wants to know how you get into the industry and he just briefly wants to know well he wants to know and i'm saying briefly how (laughs) (laughs) hint hint uh we got into the industry so i've told this story before i will go first um so essentially how did i get into it um for me i started out very much as an outsider in the industry i don't want to use this insider outsider but it's true in this case I loved craft beer. I loved drinking, drinking craft beer, talking about it, and I really just liked everything about it. So what did I do? I started going and hanging around beer events, going to beer bars, talking to beer people that, whose opinion I admired and respect, much like I say in the introduction to, to some of these shows. And essentially, I kind of found what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a publican. I didn't want to be up until four in the morning. I didn't want to be doing all that stuff. I wanted to have a beer bar or a beer store, but I didn't want to have the, you know, linoleum floor and fluorescent lighting one. I wanted to do like a wine shop. My aunt owned a wine shop, a kind of a boutique wine store, and I wanted to do something like that. And it didn't really exist at the time, but I figured, hey, 
this is what I want to do. And I just kind of went out and did it and kind of bootstrapped it a little bit and just kind of made it happen. And there were certainly people who were telling me I couldn't do it that way, but uh, that's my story. So I just kind of, I don't know, kind of crammed myself into it and wedged myself and, and made a space that didn't necessarily exist before. Um, you are the wedge. I am the done. wedge. How about you, Melanie? How did you get into the beer industry? You've been listening, so why don't you talk? I have been listening. Yeah, yeah. I was listening attentively right, to you. Right. I feel like we're in school. But, yeah, right? But we were trying to figure out what the off flavor on this beer is. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, well, my story is a little different than yours. I uh, had aspirations that I thought I was going to be something different. And, but I've been in the restaurant bar industry for over 20 years. And while I was living in New York, I happened upon a general manager position of a little 1,500 square foot bar that was a tequila bar, mm-hmm. but had a really good beer program. Okay. Sister bar across the street was the Ginger Man. Okay. So I happened originally to apply at the Ginger Man, but they were looking for a general manager for the bar, sister bar across the street. So the owner and I sat down, and we had a wonderful conversation, and the position was offered to me, so I took it, and I got introduced to craft beer for the first time. I was a Bud Light drinker, I'm not going to lie. I had moved on to martinis, so I was New York sophisticated. Yeah, sure, sure. A little bit, you know. You were in New York. I was in New York. I had to drink martinis. Um, Cosmos. One night, I decided to have my shift drink across the street at the Ginger Man, and I was introduced to the Duchess de Burgogne. Ah. And there... First hour I ever had as well. That was, that was my gateway. And then La Chouf, and we carried Who Garden and many other New York regional beers sure. at, under the volcano was the name of the bar. And it just it spoke to me. And so the opportunity presented itself to come to Chicago. And my family is in the Midwest. And so I came to Chicago and opened my own craft beer bar. Awesome. Killer. I mean, somewhat similar to what, what I did. Um, I like the aspect of introducing people to something that they don't understand necessarily, uh-huh. where they may be a little timid about it. Evangelizing in a bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And being too. able to speak about it and, and saying, what is it that you normally drink? Well, this is what I normally drink. Well, you should try this because this will open up a whole new world for you. Kind of what happened to me mm-hmm. with Duchess. Cool. Right, because it just changed your life in, in a positive way. Really and you want to kind of pay it forward. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I, I definitely feel you there. And I feel a lot of similarities in, in kind of what I do day to day and what I like most about being in the beer industry and really one of the big reasons behind this show in general is just I felt like there was so much like great conversation and so many people whose opinions just I felt needed to be heard but there was just no outlet for it which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this show um, thank and we you. all thank you for that oh well, yeah, thank you because people really do want to hear that what they're thinking somebody art- can articulate for them maybe they're scared to say it or they don't really know how to go about it but there's somebody like yourself well, the pressure's on so that thanks can... a lot uh <laughs> gary this is most recent for you but i know mm-hmm. it was a long time coming how did you get into the beer industry 
well, like a lot of people, <clears throat> has a lot, you know, has a lot to do with home brewing, and all of a sudden you get to that. I, I always call it the vortex. I've, I've met people who've just started home brewing. I'm you like, call it oh. the vortex, I'm the like, homebrew. Welcome, welcome to the vortex, because uh-huh. uh, usually what will happen? Not always, but usually you, know, you get people get sucked in, and uh, you know, then then they start thinking about, well, what's the next step? So, but for me, it was a combination of passion for brewing and. You know, I, I have an engineering background, had like so it had to do with technical things I could solve, but um, it also had to do with my complete uh, and utter uh, uh, hate for corporate America. Okay. And me leaving, I've worked for large banks, insurance companies, all kinds of people, and I am so fucking glad every day I don't have to go and back. I, I don't know you very well, but I do know that on multiple occasions when I met you, that would come out of your mouth. Prior to Alarmist, like, oh, I can't wait to do this. I'm almost ready to leave this. I finally left it. I can't mm. believe it. I mean, mm. it was definitely a huge motivator. Yeah. For you, it seems, just even for me, looking in from the outside at, as to why you wanted to do it, just to kind of do your own thing. Yeah, it's great because you can come up with a decision and actually something happens because you <laughs> made that decision. You know, in, in corporate America, there's these people who talk about these things that really don't matter. Uh-huh. I, you know, it's beer. It doesn't matter. I don't know. But... It's just, yeah, that that was it for me. So, and I waited, you know, till I'm forty, well, seven now with kids and a wife and a mortgage, and then now we're gonna go for it. Right. So, so you really have everything. To well, lose. you know, yeah, that's what we want to do. <laughs> that's how we have to do it. You don't right? want to just screw your own life up. You want to take down. Yeah, as we're many taking people. down the yeah. whole damn thing. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, how about you? How'd you uh, get into it? Decide to execute on it. So I, uh, my uh, good friend that I've known since I was uh, a little kid, we used to play hockey together. He had just moved back to the city, and um, I was drinking shit beer at the time, like most people that just graduated. And uh, he had gone to school in Boulder, so he was on a completely different plane than I was as far as beer goes. Um, but we both kind of wanted to do something on our own. I was tired of what I was doing. He, his a desk was never going to be in his future. So we kind of just looked around and, and, and tried to figure out what would make sense for us. What are we passionate about? What do we really want to do? And the first idea that came up was actually owning a bar. Okay. We quickly realized that we're not that crazy. Sorry, Melanie. Uh, no, same with me. I mean, that's what I said. I cannot have that lifestyle. I knew myself well enough, to my credit, to know I cannot do that. I'll either it, – it's going to end badly one way or another, for myself personally or for the business. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. certainly it's I mean it's in Chicago it's its own challenge too, right? Because you've got more bars here than pretty much any other city I've been to. Um so in 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 the startup capital for for something like that's quite a bit different than it is the way we did our brewery. You mentioned bootstrapping with the beer right. temple and that's that's what we did. We put so well, I guess back it up a second. Brad introduced me to craft beer and once Brad like everybody being, yeah. uh, Brad's the guy I started the brewery with. Yeah. Um, he introduced me to craft beer, and once I caught that bug, like everybody else, it's hot, you, know, you don't turn back. So unless there's a bunch of brats in the grill and a 30-pack of High Life, <laughs> right, then right. I do go back. But uh, So I started getting into great beer that Brad would continue to introduce me to, and we were still not sure. Like We were still looking at the bar idea, and we, we did the back-of-the-napkin sketch, and it, it, it was we weren't going to be able to do it on our own. And we were just sitting around trying to figure it out and he had gotten a, a hot the hot brew from john palmer or by john palmer rather. right amazing amazing book great book uh we we went and we, we kind of were kicking around ideas we're like well hey maybe maybe we maybe we get into brewing i i come from a manufacturing background 
So that to me was, was something that made sense to get into to making something. It's what I was passionate about before. So it was an easy transition. And uh-huh. we bought an extra copy of the book, both read it and then went and bought a kit and kind of had this idea of let's start a brewery so before you, we ever brewed a batch of beer. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That is cool. And then you did it. Yeah, we did it. We, uh, we aggressively, as we like to call it, home brewed. We were doing three batches a week for three years before we brewed a first commercial batch. Wow. Okay. So we didn't just dabble. We, went, we approached it as a business from the very beginning. We had a, we had a goal in the end. And so we, we, the way we home brewed and the way we learned and, and tried to absorb as much as we could was very different than your average home brewer because we, we had that end goal in sight and we wanted to do it as soon as possible. And when we did this, there was... There was no Revolution open yet. When we first conceived the Revolution idea, Revolution Brewing. Re- yeah, Revolution Brewing was not open. Haymarket Brewing was not open. You had Metropolitan, Half Acre, Goose, obviously. Two brothers, three Two, Floyds. Like yeah. Those out on the outskirts, so kind of, yeah. You had the big players, but, but this, this explosion that's happened, it was nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we had actually heard of Pipeworks, but they were in a similar state as we were. Uh-huh. Um, they were about, probably about six months ahead they, uh, or, or more. I think they opened... They may have opened actually almost a year before us, but either way, we uh, there wasn't a lot of other breweries out there, so it it really made sense to us at that point to kind of, all right, well this is a, this has a lot of potential. Let's see what we can do. Let's learn what we can and let's try it. And it was something we could do with relatively low risk. Uh, our breweries, our original brew was supposed to be on a 13 gallon Sabco Brew Magic. Uh, we were just going to be in one or two bars and just kind of. Get wow. into the market and try it. Obviously, like what's it wasn't going to nano, right? That, that's yeah, like that's I, a, like dogfish head. That's what he did. That's what he did, yeah. and it yeah. wasn't going to. Clearly, it wasn't going to support even one of us. It was never meant to do that. It was more of a proof of concept. And then we ended up. So we we signed a lease for our commercial space, which was 400 square feet, and that is still where we brew today. Uh, Chris, you've been there. It's a little tight. Yeah, man. Uh, so we. It, it's we, amazing. I mean, I will say what you guys turn out in that space is amazing and it took me a couple times of of saying um hold on what's up everything okay i'm not trying to be a teacher is everything okay everything's cool no we're okay. we're it's fine cool. okay, okay we're fine we were talking about your accent oh right 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 <clears throat> got it so no it's um I was Oh, my accent. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm from England originally. <laughs> I hide it well. I anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, you look at your space and you're just like, this can't work. You cannot make a living. <laughs> a lot of people of said that. Right, right. And then when I saw, and then you'd made it happen. And then I, you know, kind of infamously said it about your canning line. I was like, I think I felt so bad. I laughed when I heard about your canning line, but you guys made it work. So now I've just stopped. Stop I suspend disbelief. I suspend disbelief. I stop laughing externally. I keep it all inside. And I'll say, I'll save this one for when they fail. And then I'll really let it out. No, I'm kidding. But it's, it's amazing. So No, it's, it, yeah, we, we have a cask uh, canner. It's two heads. It's eight cans a minute. I know, I know it's blindingly fast for most of you guys. But it works. It gets the job done. And, yeah, we, we cram 12 tanks in a brew house into 400 square feet. And we, we turn out as much beer as we possibly can. And we, you know, we were fortunate enough where we ended up hooking up with the Pipeworks guys and Brad actually brewed there for four months while we kind of, we kind of saw their space and saw what they were doing. And we're like, all right, well, this does work on a bigger scale. So we changed our plan from the Sabco Brew Magic Dogfish Head Brewery and 
went and bought a three and a half barrel system and, and ordered some five barrel fermenters. And, but it took, that, that does not happen overnight and probably even worse now. But when we were entering, it took us, I think it was almost six months, maybe longer before we actually got our equipment, uh, before we got all of it. But in that time, Brad was able to brew with, with, with those guys over there. And we kind of, which was actually invaluable to where we are today, as far as getting that commercial experience, because that made a huge difference for us. Because it's not the same no. as home brewing. No, and it's, there's a, obviously a lot of things that are the same. But and you also guys did a little bit of like a pseudo internship with Pipeworks. You know, you went to another place for at least. No, yeah, Brad worked there. Brad for four worked months. there for a little bit. Right? Yeah. yeah, no, he was. He did. He did. He learned a lot there for yeah. sure. So it's important to have a little bit of like a support network you there, have to you, you know yeah you have to and we're thankful for that experience and then we opened up our brewery and haven't really looked back and cool kind of just yeah it's kind of a different story especially when people find out that we haven't we decided to open a brewery before we brewed but awesome we uh we kind of made it work so now there are is unless is there something that you wanted to add in a a, a short amount of time we've gone very much over on this email segment. I, I think uh, I think I already said my piece in the beginning. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Uh, and sorry, I, there was a couple other emails I was going to read. Nate, especially, you're going to have to wait till till another episode. Um, but Jeff did write in and say that he really liked the "What beers are you drinking now?" segment and wanted to know if we could put this information in the show notes. So I will be doing that from now on. So all of the "What are you drinking now?" beers, I will kind of assign them to whoever put it put it out. And I will say, "What beers aren't you drinking now?" for you, Steve. I'll be at the top of the list. Do baby. you do everything awesome. Jeff tells you? Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Jeff. Jeff is basically the overlord and, and yeah, really kind of yeah. pushy. Sounds like. He is, um, you know, we're on the air, so I can't tell you how I really feel about Jeff. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're looking at my eyes right now, you'll see kind of the mix of Ooh. fear and hatred that's just emanating out of them for, for angry, good old Jeff. Angry man. Obviously, so, uh, no. Thanks, everyone, who, who sent in an email. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, moving on. I wanted to talk a little bit about best of lists. And um, originally, Tracy Hurst was supposed to be back on the show, and this was a a topic that was going to be on show number two. And afterwards she said, Oh, I really wanted you to get to that, that topic. And I was like, Oh, you should have just mentioned it. So I put it pretty high up this time. And of course she wasn't able to make it this time. So sorry. Is Tracy. that who I'm replacing is Tracy? <laughs> uh, all three of you are. So that's how much it takes to replace Tracy, but no. Um, anyway. Um, so best of lists. Um, this is something that, you know, even as recently as this past week, I kind of got into it with Michael Kaiser actually on Facebook about some best of lists. Did you, did and, you argue with him on there or what do you mean? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, we, we definitely argued um, because, you know, it's like it, 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 there's a part of human nature where people see what is ranked and they say what is, um, you know, the best and, and it just incites you. You know, you say, that's not right. That's not number nine. That's number 10. And there was, you know, recently uh, there was a Thrillist best of list that came out. And I was actually asked to, to judge for it. And I declined. And, you know, when it came You've out. You've regretted it ever since. <laughs> what? Why did I decline? Very Why savvy of you. did you decline? I declined because um, when they reached out to me, they said, we want to do a best of list like in we did for the San Francisco thrills. And I took a look and it was, you know, the best beers in Chicago as picked by the experts, I think is what it was called. And I was like, Oh cool. You know, this will be a nice little plug 
for for the beer temple. You know, it could it in could be Chicago. good in Chicago. In Chicago, right? So, so the best breweries in Chicago. So then I started thinking about it. Okay, well, what's going to be on there? And I'm like, well, you know, Half Acre is my number one. Okay, I'm just going to do that. And then what's after that? Okay. Well, is it Chicago or is it Chicago area? So then I emailed him, you know, three Floyds count. Yep. And, you know, that, that counts. Okay, fine. Which is not Zombie in Chicago. Dust. Zombie right, dust. whatever. He's Zombie like, dust. yeah. So and I must say that on that list. But that's fine. Whatever. But five of the top ten are not in Chicago. Well, you're kind of getting at my point. So you can make that list whatever you want it to be. If they want it to be Chicago area, fine. If you have the steel on there, fine. If you have Penrose on there from out, in, you know, in Geneva, Geneva. fine. Whatever. I mean, just tell me the rules, and I'll play by the rules. And the more I started thinking about it, uh, I was thinking of, you know what, there's no such thing as a fifth best brewery. There's no such thing as a fourth best. You know, what's the difference? But I mean, do I always want brewery number two over brewery number five? Do I always, you know, what makes a better brewery? Mars is making these really cool, dynamic brewery beers like Jungle Boogie, which I called, you know, the beer of the year here in Chicago. Does that mean that they're the best brewery because they make that beer? I don't know. Maybe it does. Is Revolution, who has a really solid, consistent portfolio that you can get in a wide variety of places, does that make them better? What makes you the best brewery? Except for Antihero. And I couldn't, right. So I couldn't hear. I uh, couldn't hear. I can't hear you. But I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I was telling Melanie she's not talking to the mic. Uh, but so what... I couldn't figure out, well, what is the best brewery? And I also started thinking, and I thought about you, Jason. I literally was thinking about you. And I was thinking, if I don't put Jason... So the thing is, if you're in the top three, they give you the notes. And if you're not in the top ten, they don't tell you who you voted for. They don't give you the rank. They only give you the top three. They said your, your four through ten won't be shown, but it'll be, the, the votes will be counted. And I thought, well, okay, if I put Spiteful number four and Pipeworks number three, some of the, they may not be angry, but they're going to they're gonna notice it. You know, I'm friends with these guys. And if I put Pipeworks in front, or if I put Spiteful in front of Pipeworks, I have friends at Pipeworks, and, and they're going to notice. And I have to do business with these people, and it's all for a constructed list that I don't really believe anyway. So I'm like, what do I do? So and which one? Which one was three and four? Was it Spiteful? And <laughs> they were. It was actually eleven. It was eleven and twelve. Pipe Pipeworks was on the show first. I, I think we know. Who I'm was gonna. I'm gonna hold you. Right? I'm gonna hold you back, Jason. They were the first repeat guests. Twice repeat guests. I will say that I did have um, one brewery that I thought should have been on that list that was not was Unane. I think Jerry is making some really good beers, and I thought that not a single vote was not cool on that list, but whatever. So my point is I decided not to do it because I'm going to now, there weren't, weren't enough parameters. Like I said, give me the parameters, Melanie. You know, tell me what are the rules, and I'll, ju- I'll do it by, that, by those rules. There were no rules, and then I realized it doesn't matter. It's all made up, and it's going to be something that, to most people, just like flies through on their little Facebook feed. But to the people that I have to work with day in and day out, it matters. Mm-hmm. And to Tracy, who came in second on that list, it mattered a lot. It was a huge, positive, motivational thing. It was, it was such a great thing for somebody who makes lagers, and you know they're not making the double IPAs and the super sours and the barrel-aged stouts to come in second from a panel of people that they respect meant a lot. So in that sense, I'm happy. But in another sense, to me, it's so effing meaningless 
that it, it, it puts me as a judge in a tough situation. So I wanted to talk to you guys um, about, you know, what do these top 10 miss lists mean to you? I mean, particularly the Brewers, but also to, to you, Steve, and, and, and you, Melanie. I wanted to throw it back back at you guys. So the list that I was talking about on Thrillist is that one, but the one from this last week was the top 10 lists in the world as chosen by someone from Vermont. And there, there's a new one all the time, you know? It doesn't matter. And, and the specifics of a certain list is almost besides the point, is, is, to, is what I was getting at, Melanie. It doesn't matter. There's always a new top 10. They're always slightly different. Top 10 rarest, top 10 best, top 10 hardest to find. I'm kind of showing my hand quite a bit here, but I wanted to throw it at you guys. What do you think of these lists? They come out all the time, and they get a lot of reaction and a lot of response from people. I think the, the, the beautiful thing about beer is it's, it's subjective. Everybody's tastes are different. We were talking about diacetyl earlier today, and Gary, you don't taste it. Which is great, because I, <laughs> I like so, much, so many more beers than you guys do. It's so awesome. I'm kind of with you on that yeah. one. But it's, it's so how do, you, how do you measure something that is, is it's not necessarily quantifiable in terms of what you normally would think of. Like when you're measuring this bottle cap, it, you, you can say it's in spec or it's not. It's quality or it's not. There's very specific quantitative terms that you can, you can judge this by. Right. You can't argue with it. It either is or it isn't. And in BJCP, like in beer judging, they set up parameters. It has to be to this style. It has to be within this or that. But, the, but that's not for uh, how good it is. It's just the, how The goal is accurate. to reduce subjectivity there. It doesn't really take it away. It's impossible True. to take it away, right? I mean, um, my favorite beer could be your least favorite beer. So that's uh, the top ten list. I, it's clickbait, especially in, with the Thrillist. And it's, it's, it's exactly. It's fine. It's, Thank it's you. good. It, Thank it, you. It, <laughs> clickbait. It sparks interest. It, it, it sparks conversation, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing uh-huh. because now you get people talking about what their favorites are. It should never be about putting breweries down that aren't on the list. It should be more talking about what everybody's enjoying, and if it does that, then I don't really have a problem with it. But you can't. You have to take it with a grain of salt. It, it is, it's a subjective a product that we're drinking. Some people like certain flavors, and some people don't. You, you see it. You know, you can give this to your friend. I had a QC can of Alley Time in my fridge that not, was not supposed to be drank by anyone but me because it was very old. It had blue tape on it that clearly said, do not drink. But my friends, being who they are, opened my fridge, saw a beer, grabbed mm, it, and drank it. Oh, donut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want the blue tape. Yeah, beer. I want the blue tape that says, don't drink. <laughs> and we were specifically trying to see how beer was aging in cans kept at different temperatures. Very we smart. had just started canning. Nice. And, well, I didn't get the... I didn't get to try it, but my friend did, <laughs> and he said, "Wow, this this beer is awesome." And I looked at, I, th- I thought he was, I thought he was kidding. I thought he was messing with me, but he wasn't. To his, to him, that was a great beer. To nice. any of us sitting here, that probably would have been an awful beer. I think it was four months. I think it was probably six months by that point, mm-hmm. and it was not kept cold. Mm-hmm. So, but to him, it was genuinely to him. It was awesome to him. He, he liked it. it. So, what what is what is a great beer? What is the best beer? It's it's whatever to me, anyways. It's whatever. You're having in your current state that, and you mentioned before, a lot of beer drinking experience has to do with atmosphere and kind of what, what it means to you outside of what's necessarily in the glass. So as long as you're making beer that, that isn't flawed with those, the, with those that you could measure, there are measurable flaws in beer, of course. And as long as you're making beer that doesn't really have those, who is anyone to say one's better than the other? I agree. What do you, you agree? You do agree. I agree with that. You're yeah, not contrarian. I, <clears throat> no, I'm not contrarian this time. Uh, so I, I used to work, my previous life, I used to do search engine shit, and um, 
that, 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 that top, you know, the top 10 things that you'll find in your bathroom, not all these things. I mean, right. as soon as you do that, people, it's clickbait. That's why Thrillist did it. I mean, that, that's of what course. it's all about. But it's, it's about It's eyeballs. about fun, too. Well, it's fun. I, I Hopefully. get it. And, 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 and I, 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 it's just such a, who, who are you to anyone judge? Yeah, okay, Mike Roper. Yeah, you all know Hopley. Great, but he's got specific tastes. So does everyone else on that list. Right, so. and are you tasting every single beer yeah. in Chicago? against yeah. every single beer at that time? Or are you relying on your memory? Yeah. Are you relying on what you read? Is are you relying brand? on Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then you're talking about breweries that aren't even in Chicago. And maybe best to you is overall over the course of a year. And it's not about what's out right now. It's just, you know, overall, I've had a lot of really good experiences with Alarmist, and that's why I'm putting them number one or something like that. Right. Not Thank that I you. would I, ever. I, I would really never do appreciate that. Let's that. Just, let's I really just, no. appreciate it. By the way, yeah. you were my first customer. You, you, really, you remember that? Yeah, you bought my first that. ever keg. I was honored. For Kaiser, of all people. So. I know. <laughs> um, but it, it is subjective. And but here's the thing. It's subjective, but show of hands here. Who read that article? Okay. So everybody, including me, put up their hands, except for Logan, uh, the Because we didn't director. even give him a beer until this yeah. last second. I know. Logan, yeah. <laughs> Logan, don't you want to know where the top beers in Chicago are? But but hold on, Thrillist, but, Thrillist told you. But so everyone here read it, and who had an emotional reaction to that list? No, I, everyone knew it was clickbait. I actually had an emotional. I did too. To did you? No, no. So so uh, what, what's happening I did, here? Is, I, I was it's one of those things. Like you can't subjectively say this is the best. Mm-hmm. And I own a bar, mm-hmm. so. There's the top 10 bars in Chicago lists as sure, well. Sure, sure. And, you know, like you're like, what is your criterion? Are right. you going out that same night and going to every single bar in Chicago and saying, this is the best one on this given night? Right. You're drinking every <laughs> single beer that's made in Chicago and saying, this is the best beer. And it's a great thing for people that are on the list. And it's a great thing because they do make great beer mm-hmm. and they're getting the kudos that they deserve. Right, Tracy Hurst being who sure. I'm speaking of. That and was the one are, that I of all the no, things because I you know I, I I have a really close relate. I swear I interned and I you know those guys like I wouldn't be here without them and I was thrilled to death for them. Absolutely, sure. and I love her and I think it's awesome that they were on that list in the top three. And <laughs> yeah, you just got to talk into the mic. I that's keep all. talking away from the mic, sorry, yeah. Um But the thing is that it's not subjective, or it is subjective. It's right. not. Objective. Objective. objective yes. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, yes. Object. We because learned that there, in Indiana. Because you're not going out and you're ta- you're not tasting every single beer that night, and you're not of saying course. on this given day this is the best beer. What is right. the consistency? Over what period of time are you judging these beers? Are you judging this style? Are you judging this style? You can't say that they're the best brewery in Chicago if they're not even made in. Chicago. Sure. I'd, I'd like to say that it is possible to do this type of list because if you set up a 256 beer tournament and do two beers head to head. This is hypothetical? Hypothetically, every single week for five years. Okay. And, and you have literally two beers on the table and you say, this one is better than this one, which most people will objectively agree with you. Not always, but, but, but often. Then you can ultimately come to the best beer. Right. I'm just saying, completely hypothetically, there's only that could one be done. fatal. There's one fatal flaw to that <laughs> system. It's that when you're wrong in like the Sweet 16 or the Final Four, and you pass on like Tilken Sophie Goose, over Tilkin Goose, but whatever. Anyway, 
I don't know. I don't even know what that beer is. Why do I even care? So, um, well, it, yeah, it, no, it is. I mean, those things. You're, you're right. They are fun, and they're fun. I mean, this this industry and they creates get an passion. Right. That, I mean, this is you know, this is what's about. The, I mean, we're we got we're sitting here talking about this, which is right. You know, you're not sitting around talking about your 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 favorite footwear. Right. Minor, minor Crocs, by the way. Oh, okay, oh good, those are good, nice. Good. Anyway. Melanie's boots are much nicer than your Crocs. <laughs> I re- Objectively. I in <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, my point is everybody knows it's clickbait. Everybody knows it doesn't mean shit. But it's it interesting. still I get pushes it. Yeah. people's buttons. When yeah. we're talking click-based, are we saying the click number bait, of clickbait? Click, so the number of clicks that you're getting? Like a worm or it's that you click. click. It's, it's uh, so it has to do with how like Google makes money by the more times you you go to a site and these uh, ad impressions appear on the page. That's where Google makes all their money. And, right. So the, the more you people, click on Bing it and all those people and load up that page, the more the five ads, or in the case of Thrillist, fifty-five ads that are on that page <laughs> load up, and they get every time an impression comes, they get a little bit of money. So the more they can get people to click on that little link, top 10, you'll never believe what Brewery 7 was. Like one of those things that get you to look, you know, they make money off that stuff. So it's not, they don't, the other thing about these lists is they don't truly care. They don't care. No. If anything, they want to upset you. And that's what upsets me even the most is that (laughs) I know the game and it still gets me. They're trying to upset me and I'm upset about that. So here's the deal. So That is so meta. So what do we do, guys? What do we do about this situation? It's not going away anytime soon. These top 10 lists are going to keep coming out. At least some of us are going to keep looking at. Oh, we're all going to keep looking at them, and some of them are going to us are going to have an emotional reaction. What do we do? Question for you: What was the deciding factor that you decided not to be a part of it? The more I thought about it, the more I thought that I did not agree with the philosophy and the ethos and the reasoning behind the the list. I just didn't believe that they truly cared about it in any way, shape, or form as much as I did, and that I had a lot more to say and potentially, you know, risk as a result of it. So I said, you know what, guys, how about we call it um, favorite, not best. So the I experts' think that's favorites. Your that that yeah. that that's a good point. That that but but you won't get the clickbait, right? You won't because it, oh, it's not the best. So we're Americans. Everything has to be the extreme. So right. I, I can't yeah, if it doesn't I say hear. the best. Uh, so these I are, these up. are pretty good breweries. We like well, I'm not the ten that. better breweries in Chicago. <laughs> the right. ten the ten not too repulsive breweries in <laughs> but Chicago. But hey, I mean, clickbait like the experts. You could still like sensationalize it. The expert pick there. 10 favorite breweries. I mean, that's still, you know, oh, I want to know what, what Roper likes the best and this and that. And, and it still puts a lot of pressure on, on me, but, but mm-hmm. I, it would have been a little bit better. And I don't know. I mean, something so subjective. I mean, I, I want an alley time sometimes, and I want not alley time some other, other times. That doesn't mean that alley time is any less good when I don't feel like having it. And I think it takes a little bit of maturity. I do think there's a lot of tickers out there, people who want to tick off all the best, people who come into my shop and they have the list of the 100 best, they have the list of all the whales, the top rated, and that's what they want. Half of them are three Floyds. Sure, but, but I mean, and I understand that too. I mean, they're coming from a, a, a place where maybe they haven't been around long enough to kind of feel comfortable enough in what they know about beer. So they want some help. And if it's an expert or crowdsourced, you know, opinion like you get in Rate Beer and Beer Advocate, that's something for them. But you can take it too far. 
when you travel to a place you haven't been to and you want to have a nice beer drinking experience, what do you, what do, you do? Exactly. You, you go look up yeah. a list, right? right? I mean, that's, I'm guilty of it. Yeah, you are. Because when you don't have familiarity with where, whatever situation it is, you have to rely on something. You wouldn't ideally <clears> like it. I mean, ideally, you'd like to have a friend who's been living there for 20 years and knows exactly the type of place you want and he'll guide you around. Well, and the thing is, a crowdsourced list or, or a well, list like a of six concierge people. They, of. they are in going, Vermont and likes Vermont beer. They may or may not give you the best <laughs> thing, but they will give you something that's very good at the top. You know? Right. And, and, and if you get six people who have six different opinions and they all agree that this is one of the best breweries, then you can, you can have a solid bet that that's exactly. going to be a good brewery. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, exactly. and so the, the lists do provide you know, some context. They have all the problems that you're talking about. I think the, the real issue here is that you take the whole thing so much more seriously than it's intended or that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like it's, it's you personally, Chris. Like, I think you just got to care less is. about the list. He can't right. care less. He uh, can't care less. And he I, shouldn't care less. But I will say that Beer Advocate, if we're going to talk about Beer Advocate, Talking about lists, for example, uh-huh. they recently just changed their whole review aspect again. Again? Like their, like their scoring algorithm? Yes. Mm. So oh, now, I noticed my scoring algorithm jumped. Absolutely. By, by 0.1. Because well, now clearly they did the right only thing. the people that have left way the reviews with <laughs> words, up. not the scores. Mm. Scores don't count anymore. It should. That's exactly how it should be. I agree. And mine jumped up. Because people actually care. Because you're world class. You want to hear something? Want to hear a little braggy brag? So of course if, we do. Yeah, if my store was a as beer, long as you don't call it braggy brag again, then we <laughs> no. would yeah, like I to swear hear to God, it. we are not children here. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I, I can say this is my. Can show. I hear a little facty fact? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to brag a little bit. <laughs> and uh, if the Beer Temple was a beer on Beer Advocate, yes. It would be the number one rated beer in the world. It's rated higher than any beer on Beer Advocate that uh, that uh, that is you know an, high enough to be on the ranking. So there you go. Yeah. Very nice. Four point eight seven out of five Damn. with one hundred and forty two reviews. That's I think. nice. Yeah. So, but I mean, so I am beholden. Beer? I am beholden. Right. Exactly. I am beholden to these lists. I feel. Like, I, would, I feel like I'm a like I'm a servant to these. I'd like to be lists. contrarian on that. Someone uh, reviewed. Uh, Phobo phobia on uh, Untapped, and he put uh, he gave it like a one star review, and he said it uh, quote tastes like piss. Period. This <laughs> is piss. <laughs> and yeah, my, and so I so I replied as alarmist. And I said, uh, congratulations, you won the golden keg. You found the golden keg, and uh, we were surprised you could taste the amount of urine we actually put into it. So, that's good. Yeah, that's how we're gonna do that. Uh, anyway. how, uh, how was the response to that? Because that, that's a... Uh, it was very funny. I sent it to my distributors, and they thought it was hilarious. So Then he came, and he had pantsless later, and he really liked it. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, will, I, I just wanted to point out, yeah. I have a friend from college, and his t- <laughs> favorite two movies ever are RoboCop and RoboCop 2. <laughs> I, you so, had me at RoboCop. Because so, the first Robocop one's not enough. Right, right, right. So, you know. I hear you. It's all. Yeah. Whatever. I think you're, you're right a little bit, Mr. Masney, that I need to care a little bit less. But I'm also with you, Melanie. I think that's kind of what makes me me is that I care for, uh, uh, too much. You just care too much, Chris. I care too much. <laughs> anyway, let's move on because I don't care enough about lists to keep talking about it. I think we're going to probably, I think, Logan, blow through our second uh, break. So we're just going to keep going. Yeah. So last week when we were at our first break, we had 
Ray Daniels, Mike Shalau, and Michael Kaiser on the show. And during our first break, Michael Kaiser turned his phone around and showed me the press release that Firestone Walker had just been acquired by Duval. So, you know, that's been all the talk. But something else that happened recently was Odell out of, uh, I think it's Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, announced that they are selling their brewery, or at least 70% of their brewery, to employees and the management team. So I just wanted to see with... I think we've got a, a, a more kind of small business-minded group here. How do you guys see those two? I mean, what was your reaction when you, if you've heard about both of them, when you heard the one and then the other? I'm not saying one has to be better. I'm not trying to rank this. I don't want to make this a best acquisitions list. I just want to talk about, you know. What's your top acquisitions? I just want to do, I want to have a little talky talk about this that thing. Oh, that's cutie cute. Yeah. Uh, Firestone Walker, where, who are they again? What do they do? I, they, uh, something about tires. Uh, well, for Firestone <laughs> Walker, to. personally, I, uh, I mean, so my second favorite brewery is Firestone Walker, and, uh, and that just depends on the day. Um, I, I couldn't think of a better um, match for them, because Duval is a great, great beer. Um, what's interesting is they're being very, uh, very opaque about Absolutely they what's are. going on there. A little there. cagey. Very cagey. So they won't say how much. They won't say yeah, what the structure is. Yeah. So uh, and and it's, it seemed very corporate speaky corp speaky speak. Uh, yeah. When they were corp, when they, corpy corp is corpy what corp, I call speaky it. Speaky speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About their uh, what what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. so I don't know. I mean, I don't think it'll affect the beer at all. I, whatever. At but, all. Oh no, I don't think it'll affect it at all. Okay. Uh, I just think it's I, you know, everyone you know. You can you can draw a line in the sand and say, "Well, we'll never sell our, we'll never combine with anyone." Well, you don't know. When someone waves some, you know, some sweet money in front of your face, I'm thinking, "Hey, I get that little villa in Italy. That's not a bad thing." You already have a yacht yeah. in France. You have a yacht. Well, here, right, I'll say, but but I it's but it's, it. but it's not in the water, right? And that costs right, a it's fortune. It's you in know a how mountain. much goddamn pants I'm going to have to sell to get that thing in the water? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I no. I, I don't, you know, whatever. That, that's their business. They can do what they want. Um, so let's flip it. What about Odell? Does that matter to you, Jason? I mean, is there any difference in your mind between Firestone Walker being acquired by Duval and Odell saying, you know what, we're going to sell to our, you know, the, the people who are the employees and the management the team? Yeah. yeah, it's a huge difference. And why is that? I think uh, you're rewarding the people that made you who you are in one sense and another sense you're you have some sort of exit strategy or some sort of plan that which is opaque as it is you don't know what it is right Right. so we don't know what the fate of of, we don't know all the players involved in that deal all we know is that there was a deal whereas odell you know that hey we need an exit strategy as well but let's sell it to our employees who we wouldn't be here without them so to me i i I much prefer that type of of sell if you want Mm -hmm. to call it that uh, I th- I'm pretty sure New Belgium has a similar uh, structure. Yeah, yeah, I think Har- didn't Harpoon just do the same thing? They did. Uh, Left Hand has done a little bit of yeah, that as so, well. And I don't know how that works financially. I, I, I have no Tony idea. Tony McGee had can, a, yeah, a Tumblr let me, post let about it. Let me jump it. in because yeah, Tony McGee had was, a, <laughs> was had it a, comprehensible? It, it it actually was. It was it was a great post, and there was you know talk of all. He's going to be on the show soon. So. All these different exit I've strategies. I've met him. He's and, a nice guy. And essentially. 
you know, you look at it just from a strictly emotional, you know, standpoint, and you think, okay, well, this is great. We're giving the brewery to the employees. That's that's beautiful. Versus we're going with you know another larger brewer, but but if you start to intellectualize and think about what's actually happening, going with the other larger brewer who has all this equity and can inject all this capital with you know no no debt burden coming in they're putting the position the brewery in a great position to do great things and reward the employees through the the normal way that employees are rewarded good benefits good salaries you know a happy workplace whereas if you if you let the owners or you have the owners cash out the way that they're doing it the employees aren't paying the owners the employees don't have the money so they're taking a big bank loan against the future cash flow of the company, which is then saddling the future of the company with this big debt burden. Yes. However, Odell has a five-year plan, and they are only selling 10% to the employees that work on the floor. The rest of it is being sold to the CEO and the three higher-ups. Right. So they're not saddling their employees with that. Their employees aren't even really going to see anything, the people that are on the floor, for five years because they are not cashing out at all. And I think that as far as Firestone Walker and Duval are concerned, Duval is saying, we want to represent you guys. Maybe you don't have the capital, maybe you don't have whatever it is that you have to get in the market. Although Firestone Walker is really not hurting in any market that I know of. No. So for Duval... Their beer could be fresher in Chicago. It could. It could, but... That's, is that a Firestone Walker? Is that a CBS? Is that a Reyes? Eh, well, sure. You know. right, right. I, Who knows? But when you're talking about an ESOP model, Odell is saying within five years, we're... Did you want to say something? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, y'all, I'm, no, I was just I'm twitching. Just saying, <laughs> I know, Jason's like over on my shoulder, Jason. like, because we're, we're sharing a mic, y'all. Um, Jason and I can only have one mic between the two of us. I don't know what that's about. It, well, but anyway. I think it has yeah, to yeah, do I don't with timeliness. Your train of thought you were. But my train of thought is that Odell is saying within five years, we would like our on-the-floor employees to have a little more control, but the higher-ups are always going to have that control, and we as the founders will always be the founders. Mm-hmm. And I, my feeling is that if, if the founders truly wanted to, to bequeath something to the employees, they would gift a large portion of the equity over as opposed to having there be a large bank loan. Now, obviously, you want to be rewarded for all the years of risk and toil and everything else, but on the other hand... You know, after you get a few million dollars, unless you have multiple yachts in France, what's the difference? I just have one. Sure. Well, for now, Gary. Right. Well, right. You know, so so it's I don't know. The the whole thing strikes me as. I think the Duval thing actually makes a little more sense. Now, here's an interesting side of that Duval thing that um, someone in the store also presented, and I hadn't thought about it. it. Was great. I wish I were, I could credit whoever said it, but Duval very well could be in a place where they need to start keep acquiring and they need to keep growing or else they're going to be bought out by, you know, InBev or someone. So they're like, listen, we have to keep ourselves around. So we have to acquire Boulevard. We have to acquire Firestone Walker. We have to keep growing or else we're going to get eaten up. And it very well could be could be that as well. Well, I think that they started that probably six years ago when they introduced Duval Green which was right, their yeah. Oh, yeah. single hop, mm-hmm. early, young, green, and then they changed the name to something else, and now they've introduced Duval Triple Hop, which is a 
version, but it's triple hopped. It tastes so, awesome in Belgium. Exactly. And it changes it, But that's the American the version. Is it Bud or Miller triple hopped? Is it one of those triple hopped? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. They have the Vortex yeah, bottle. Hop I, don't, I, don't, I can't yeah. keep it straight. Well, it just really gets me it. drunk Whatever really happened fast. to those bottles? Man, I miss those things. It's almost like it was a marketing gimmick or something. No, I don't know, no. but if, if, if you turn it, it upside that. down and it turns purple, then it's really cold. That's <laughs> anyway, all I know. Anyway, we're getting off but point. Thanks, Gary. Get on your yacht, man. Would you please? I'm sorry. So I think that Duval is trying to stay relevant. And in the American market, but they're fine in Belgium. I Mm -hmm. don't really know why they're concerned, but America has taken over as far as the beer is concerned. But I think that for the Firestone Walker, (laughs) they want to stay relevant. So if buying Firestone Walker is how they're going to stay relevant, I think that that's their, their way in. It would be a problem I would love to have. Sure. Yeah, that's course. what it comes down to. I mean, we all make judgments on, oh, he sold out. This brewery sold out to AB, whatever. You know what? Get in their shoes and see what happens. I don't right. know if it's selling out. No. I mean, no, well, I it is selling it's, out. It's, it, well, I, mean, I, I think, think it's like, a bandwagon that is selling. It's literally selling out. They're selling out to Duval. They're selling. I mean, it no, wasn't a merger. Well, we no, don't know. No, 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 we don't no. know what they're doing. It's, no, no. It's they're not a partnership, it's an acquisition. Duval so this is it was my understanding that it was a, a partnership. Here. Yeah, right. That there's still going to be Firestone I Walker. Now, I don't know. And all they're tweeting about and Facebooking about is that they're filling the parabola sure. barrels and, and they're still doing what they do. I think that Duval saw an opportunity to right. stay relevant in the U.S. market. And they said, let's go for this one. But I don't know if it's selling out. I will out. say that I will, it's mm. not selling out like you sell out to the man. But I think it is. It <laughs> like was not a merger. By the way, it I was, am the man right Jason now. Jason is the man. It was not a merger. You're the man. It was not a merger <laughs> of Yachts two. And you're France. the man. Which is what happens when two companies kind of come together and you know become one. They have a marriage. But it was an acquisition. <laughs> Duval bought Firestone Walker. Okay. Firestone was sold to Duval. Now, that doesn't mean that there's hmm. some you know opaque language there that gives them some sort of anonymity for a certain amount of time. But right. Duval owns Firestone. Firestone does not own Duval in any sure? way, shape, Are or form. Are you sure they own them? Well, I think we're, we're kind of sure. into the insider speculation as opposed to the insider's called, knowledge, right? It was called... And it was an well, acquisition. Well, they talked oh, about a, a merge. They talked about a North American joint venture. I thought was what the press release says. Something along those lines, because it seemed structured kind of like the Miller Coors thing, where Miller Coors operate together in North America as one unit, but yet globally they are two separate entities. Now, obviously, you know, Firestone doesn't really have any real presence outside the U.S. Yes, they might sell a little bit. So I think you're right that that Firestone got kind of incorporated into the North American wing of Duval. But, you know, right. we don't know, you know, it, it may very well be that Adam Firestone and David Walker and Matt Brindleson and whoever else has equity still owns part of now the overall larger thing. You know, we don't know. We, just, we don't know because they're not saying. Right. Duval, I mean, Duval makes great beer. So right. It could, be, it could be either, and this is when we need, you know, Mr. Michael Kaiser on here to tell us what, what we're right and wrong, or wrong about. I do know as that as the headline was Duval Morcott acquires Firestone Walker Brewing Company. Oh, okay. And I think that does say something. I mean, I'm looking at the headline right here. Anyway. And, it, and it's the word acquires? Acquires. All right. Well, that's acquires. pretty definitive right yeah. there. Um, okay. So we've talked about this now for quite a bit on two successive shows, but it's, it shows that it's a huge, it's a huge deal. I mean, this is If this the Firestone Walker beer wasn't so freaking good, we wouldn't care so much. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that, that's, a, that, that's true. Yeah. Absolutely. It's yeah. true. 
So let's wind down a little bit. Uh, I, I want to give you guys each time to, to do uh, what I like to call a pluggy plug. <laughs> Uh, kind of talk about Jesus something that you guys Christ. like. I will never talk, do this double talk Gary, again. Gary, you've been encouraging him this whole time. <laughs> yeah, right. What no, we'll call it plugs. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Gary, why don't you go first? Is there something that, that you want to plug, either an alarmist thing or just something that you're feeling passionate about right now that you think people should know about? Uh, well, I, I, could, I could plug, I suppose, some stuff going on. But you just you go to the Facebook page, alarmist, whatever the hell it is. Alarmist Brewing, Facebook, Facebook page. page. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I had, uh, the other night I was drinking a few, probably a couple scream double IPAs and I was on this, uh, saw this, um, another one of those lists. It was like top 30 under 30 in Chicago. Yeah. That just came out. And that just annoyed the living fuck out of me because <clears throat> hey, I'm 47. <laughs> right. And, and I'm thinking top 47 over I'm 47. Thinking, <laughs> why? Yeah. I'm like why 30 under 30? What does that even mean? And who gives a shit? So it just, it I just lied started. to get on readers. That's awesome. <laughs> under 30. Cause I was actually 40. <laughs> yeah. I, I it just, it just, that's awesome. It just, it, it, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I hate to say ageism, but as you get older, you start to see it, but it's just weird. It just right. bugged me. Like really? What? How about, all of us and all of us who are trying to do something and create something in Chicago. And what difference does it fucking make what age you are? I mean, I'm doing something at 47 that I should have done at 28, I suppose, but I didn't have the money. So or you just anyway. weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And I, at 20, I was, yeah. So you I don't know. Good it, just, enough. it just annoys They're me. Better, faster. Yeah. It don't just be jealous. Me, but, um, just cause me and all the other 28 year olds, <laughs> 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 I didn't make that list and I'm, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that's so really but what did you you wanted a anti plug? No, no, <laughs> well, plug. So we're doing. Here, we've Gary? got a uh, we've got a we've got an event coming up. Uh, it's called uh, Beer Barbecue Challenge. Okay, and it's uh, Mike Brick who has built. He built my brewery and he built lots of other people's breweries, including Piperworks, Off Color, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He, uh, he part of Catholic Church is in Old Irving Park, and it's a giant event. Uh, it's the second year they've had it, and they've got more breweries now. And it's uh, I think it's a week from this Saturday. I okay. think it's beerbbqchallenge.com. Fifty dollars. Okay. All the beer and barbecue you want, and it's awesome. all like local guys, not restaurants, just local guys who are doing barbecue. And oh, it cool! Is, and we're going to be pairing beers and all this stuff, and it's going to be awesome. So don't miss that. Cool. For fifty dollars, Jesus yeah, Christ! Considering how high uh, beer festival tickets are going, that that's a great deal. Would so. you say that's one of the best fifty-one under fifty-one dollar <laughs> fests you could possibly do? One would hope. I would hope. Anyway, moving yes. on because I don't want. Yeah, I don't we're running out of really time. Yeah. Yep. Melanie, how about you? What do you want to plug? I'm just going to plug the craft beer boat event that we're doing for um, August twenty-first. Come to the Green Lady. You can win tickets to the beer boat throughout Chisinau, uh, Allagash, Surly, and Off Color. I think Gary owns that boat, right? You own the beer boat? <laughs> no, no, is my boat. My boat is still landlocked in France. Oh. Well, if you are so really? lucky and you can make the list, maybe we'll fly you over to, okay. to France yeah. and you can be on that. I'm gonna move. Over. I'm gonna Thank move you. on. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna move over to, to Steve so we have time to move the, the mic over to Jason. But how about you? Steve? Uh, I'm gonna plug beer download. Uh, if if yeah. you were curious about all that head to head five year tournament, that wasn't hypothetical. That's actually been done. 
Uh, we did it from the beginning of 2010 till the end of 2014. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and if you're into listening to radio like this, I like to think that you might like our show too. So go check it out. There's an extensive back catalog, and we're still putting out a new show every other week, and even though the tournament's over. And it's a great show, and it's a great podcast, and really one of the inspirational shows for my original podcast, uh, The Beer Temple. That's so the only reason I know Chris. Check it's it out. Pretty yeah. cool. Do you collect podcasts? And my, and my mic's not on, is it? It's on. It's on. Oh, enough. it doesn't sound like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's on Do you collect podcasts, Chris? Do I collect them? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Collect them, train them with right. my friends, stuff like that. Anyway, back to Jason. Yeah, Jason. I'm going to take over. Jason, yeah. why don't you go ahead and go yeah. now? <laughs> I don't really have anything to plug, per se, for. It doesn't for need to be the, you. The I brewery, but I, 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 maybe, maybe this will be, uh, you can have fun with this on, on another show. Uh, there's a lot of talk in the industry about a bubble, and by no means do I want to get into the conversation right now, but I would like to just say, why don't we all enjoy that there is a, an abundance a fantastic beer to drink here, that's here. made in our backyard. And let's not worry about how many breweries are opening up. Let's just worry about drinking good beer and having a good time. Exactly. Awesome. Here, here. I, I agree to that. I'm going to forego my, my plug as well. We all love the beer temple. Yeah, we all love it. I mean, come on. It's 4.87. Not that anyone's counting. It's out of 142. <laughs> I don't look at it every It would be day. the best yeah, beer in right. the world if it was a beer. I'm, it would be the number one on the list. I barely care about it, <laughs> if let it was, alone if care it was too a beer, much. It would kick Pliny the Elder's ass. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it would de- definitively be rated higher and better in all instances. Um, anyway, <laughs> thanks so much. Uh, so it's, been, it's been really fun. Definitely a, a great time with you guys. Thanks all for coming on, some of you, uh, with, with short notice. Thanks, as always, to... Lump in radio and to Logan, the station director. Yes, absolutely. 105.5 FM. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty cool. And that's about it. Until next time, guys, we'll catch you later. And until then, cheers. 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 Can I say it? Thanks, Chris. Go have a beer. Again, again, again